You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There are possible charming kitten sightings. Fishing in Tibet shows just how successful cheap skid labor can be. Cisco patches a serious flaw in its VPN products. The fitness app Strava says it will work to close privacy holes. Experts say you're just a tap away from giving yourself away, and it's not just Strava, not by a long shot. South Korea considers how cryptocurrency might be regulated. The U.S. SEC shuts down an allegedly fraudulent ICO. And what do you call an ICO that steals the price of a cheap seat? I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 31st, 2018. Hackers thought to be associated with Iran have been phishing Israeli nuclear scientists. The bait consists of links to bogus British news sites. The links were to the fictitious British News Agency, a false flag that hitherto been flown in fishing expeditions against Iranian dissidents, human rights activists, academics with a scholarly interest in Iran, media personalities, and the like. Researchers at the Israeli cybersecurity company Clear Sky attributed those earlier efforts to the threat actor called Charming Kitten, which Clear Sky said was Iranian and state-sanctioned. The latest round of phishing that targeted Israeli scientists is also being attributed to Charming Kitten. But of course, this is early, and attribution is notoriously both circumstantial and difficult. A quick taxonomic note, threat groups associated with Iran tend to have feline names, presumably by association with Persian cats. Those associated with Russia are bears, those with China are often pandas. Fishing in the interest of state security can be done cheaply and without much skill. The University of Toronto's Citizen Lab has a report on a campaign directed against members of the Tibetan community. For just a little more than a thousand bucks and some pretty ordinary web development and sysadmin tools, the fishers successfully spied for 19 months. Citizen Lab, with commendable modesty and reticence, doesn't offer any attribution, but it's been easy for observers to connect the dots and speculate on the basis of the campaign's target list. The targets include Tibetans, to be sure, but also members of China's minority Muslim population and adherents of the Falun Gong religious movement, a movement not in good odor with the government in Beijing. All of this suggests a Chinese government operation, or at least one closely aligned with the government's interests. Citizen Lab suggests the actors may be low-level contractors, but it's unclear who gave them the targets or how that hypothetical customer consumed the information the contractors delivered. It's a cautionary tale of phishing. The attackers spent just over $1,000 on infrastructure and another $190 to rent some servers. But with this, they were able to compromise enough email accounts to successfully fish for more than a year and a half. 
Cisco has patched serious vulnerabilities in its VPN offerings, specifically in 10 products that run Cisco ASA. Users are advised to apply the patches as soon as possible to avoid the possibility of remote code execution. The flaw is a dangerous one. It received the most severe CVSS score possible, that's the Common Vulnerability Score System rating, 10 out of a possible 10. Successful exploitation could result not only in remote code execution, but in denial of service as well. It seems like it might take a while for things to calm down with regard to the meltdown and Spectre vulnerabilities, with patches being released and pulled for desktop operating systems. There's less talk on the mobile side, so we checked in with J.T. Keating from Zimperium, a company that specializes in protecting mobile devices, for his take on where things stand. On the iOS side of things, um, Apple has has released patches specifically for Meltdown. Um, they were in the process of uh, sending out updates to Safari, which was going to be their solution to how to handle Spectre. Google pretty much followed suit when it came to the exact same thing. But of course, you know, with Google, we've got the uh, the challenges associated with how changes actually make their way through the Android ecosystem. Pretty consistently, when we do our global threat data, we see that uh, well over two-thirds, if not, you know, sometimes, depending on timing, 80% of Android devices are running out-of-date operating systems, whereas it's about a third, 25% to a third for iOS. But the patches, allegedly, for both of those are out. Um, it's now a matter of whether or not the users upgrade and whether or not on the Android side of things that it actually percolated all the way through their ecosystem. Yeah. And, and you know, I think part of what's been uh, puzzling for people is there's been a lot of uncertainty. You know, on the desktop side, the patches are released and then pulled back and they've said uh, upgrade or uh, update. And then they've said, no, hold back on updating. Um, do So do things seem a little more settled on the mobile side? You know, um, they they are from a perception standpoint. Mm. Um, and, and one of the biggest differences between mobile and traditional endpoints is that there's no such thing as a patch management system, right? So when enterprise security guys, it's funny, you talk to any enterprise security guy, they'll tell you that the, the single greatest security risk to a company is a carbon-based life form. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a human being, right? Well, in traditional endpoints, You've got a patch management system like BigFix or something, and then you've got centrally managed antivirus, and you've got you know, centrally managed network firewalls and everything like that. Well, now you take this user that makes bad enough mistakes as it is with all of those precautions, and you give them a supercomputer, and you say, okay, now you're the admin for it. You're responsible for deciding what networks you're going to go in and out of. You're responsible for deciding what apps you're going to download. And oh, by the way, I'm totally beholden to you to update your devices, right? So whereas advice like, well, push the patch out. No, 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 let's roll it back because we found that there might be some issues with performance, for instance. On the traditional endpoint side, you don't really get that on the mobile side. So even though it's probably they, there might be some situations where they're like, mm, maybe we need to push out another version of the patch, they don't have that ability to to play the push me pull you that you were discussing on the traditional endpoints. So what we see a lot of times is they just won't say anything at all. They'll just wait and then just do another patch. So for instance, um, Apple came out with another patch this week, a couple of days ago. One of those included some stuff for for meltdown. So that's what they do is they'll just push out another patch as opposed to say, well, let's roll that one back because they have no ability to roll it back. 
on the mobile side, is there any indication of what we might expect to see in terms of performance hits? You know, we've seen a lot of uh, estimates on it, but the estimates on mobile seem to be uh, significantly less than some of the predictions we've heard in some of the other places. It seems that the biggest hits uh, from people I've been talking to have been in larger processing environments, cloud environments, uh, server farms, you know, things on those lines. Um, the, the percentages we've heard have been, you know, relatively low. And we're talking like single digit 1%, 2% type stuff. Um, it hasn't seemed to have been a, a major issue. There was a lot of FUD about it right off the bat. But in terms of any testing, and we've been doing some testing, we haven't seen any significant, truly significant performance impacts on the mobile devices that we're playing with. Now, I'm sure if you're dealing with really older versions, it'd probably be more noticeable. But the little supercomputers today, it hasn't seemed to have been that big of a deal. That's J.T. Keating from Zimperium. The CEO of Strava promises to work with the U.S. military and government to better keep sensitive data secure. The company's fitness app generated a publicly accessible heat map of user activity that could be readily correlated with the location of sensitive U.S. bases. Even anonymized and aggregated data can yield interesting intelligence. An opinion piece in Technology Review argues that when it comes to user privacy, you're probably on your own. A report in The Guardian seconds that conclusion, noting that Strava isn't the only app tracking you. You're just a tap away from giving yourself away. Look closely at the permissions you give your apps. In cryptocurrency news, South Korean authorities report that recent fraudulent coin speculation and theft has produced some $600 million in fraud. They will permit trading to continue, however, as they work through how they might better regulate that country's thriving, early-adopting cryptocurrency market. And the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission last week alleged fraud and shut down Arise Bank's initial coin offering. It's not just the alleged fraud, the SEC said, but also Arise Bank's failure to properly register what it was selling as a security. This continues the SEC's pattern of regarding many cryptocurrency offers and instruments as securities. And finally, we're used to thinking of larceny as being either grand or petty. But what comes below petty? Bite-sized? Teeny? Nano? We're not sure, so we'll call this one Malyuchki, because the amount scammed in this one seems to warrant its own category. This Lithuanian outfit, calling itself Prodeum, came out a couple of days ago looking like the usual frothy but implausible blockchain startup. Their stated mission was the tracking of every piece of food on the internet. What, you say? Why would anyone want this? And in what sense can food be said to be on the internet outside of, you know, Minecraft or SimCity? Well, never mind, Granny, you just don't get it. It's blockchain. Maybe it's like for sustainable harvesting or non-GMO or something like that. Wasn't there this iced tea company that blockchained itself? And let's not forget Vopercoin, the cryptocurrency that's letting Muscovites eat themselves into a fortune. Anywho, Grandpa, Prodeum came up with a typical-looking initial coin offering with tokens offered and tokens promised. But then, after a short and happy life of scamming people, Prodeum replaced its site with one that displayed just one word, a two-syllable word for an intromittent organ which we will euphemize our way around because we're a family show. And what did the scammers get? Estimates differ, but one that seems right to us puts the take at $11. That's 11, count them, 11 Yankee greenbacks, 
which will get you one upper deck seat at some Orioles ball games with nothing left over for a hot dog or a natty bow. Wired says this shows that ICO scams are now just straight up trolling. What do we say? Just this. Seriously, people. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Yossi Oren, He's a senior lecturer at the Department of Software and Information Systems Engineering at Ben-Gurion University, and he's also a member of BGU's Cybersecurity Research Center. Uh, Yossi, welcome back. Today we wanted to talk about some research that you all have done about some vulnerabilities with mobile device cases. What do we need to know here? Let's assume you're a really security-conscious person and you don't install anything on your phone that you don't trust. Mm. And you buy, you do all your repairs in the uh, Apple Store, and you only install official software and so on. Uh, but let's say that somebody gave you a, a nice present. It's a phone case. It's a little piece of plastic you put around your phone. Right. And what possibly could go wrong with that? Nothing. Right. Nothing. Nothing. It's just a piece of plastic. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't connect to your phone in any way. Right. It doesn't touch it. Right. It just surrounds it. So we were we were looking at a way. This is research which was done together with uh, a graduate student called um, Tomer Glick and jointly supervised by myself and by Dr. Asaf Shabtai. So we were trying to think, uh, what if we could build a keylogger which didn't actually need to touch the phone? So Tomer built something we call the Curious Case. It's a phone case which uh, actually records all your touches. Hmm. And how it does that is very, very interesting. 
So remember, it doesn't it doesn't touch the phone. It doesn't touch your finger. It doesn't connect to the phone in any way. So from the outside, it just looks like a regular plastic or rubberized case. Exactly. All right. So there is a phenomenon called capacitive sensing or capacitive sensing, yep. which is actually used in some kind of touchscreen. I think in ATMs it's used. And it's built by, it's de- designed on the principle that your finger actually um, changes the capacitance of the things it's close to. So if you, uh, I'm not going to do, uh, uh, you know, 201 electrical engineering here, <laughs> but if you charge and discharge a capacitor very quickly, um, you're going to get, uh, the, the capacitor is going to smooth out this, uh, this charging and discharging and make it into a very, very smoothed out wave. Uh, as the better the capacitor is, the smoother the wave is. Sure. And if you put your finger between the two plates of the capacitor, it's going to ruin this capacitor's capacitant, and then the, the wave is going to become very sharp. It's going to lose its smoothness. And this, there's actually a way to build the touchscreen using this uh, method. How do you do it? You, t- you take uh, two pieces of conductive metal. Uh, in our case, uh, Tomo actually uh, bought a cigarette uh, pack, and he <laughs> threw away all the cigarettes because smoking is bad for you. <laughs> And he took the aluminum foil uh, wrapper inside the cigarette box, and he cut it into five strips. And again, you can see pictures on our website. There, are, he put four strips on, around the perimeter of the phone. Again, this is inside the touch uh, the case, mm. and one large plate on the back. And uh, what actually did we treated this as a set of four capacitors, and we charged and discharged them very quickly. And uh, using some signal processing. Tome was able to discover where the user's finger is. Again, the finger is not touching the case. It's touching the phone screen. But uh, we, we actually did a, a nice experiment where uh, we did some machine learning and dis- discovered the user's unlock pattern. So the, the, we had uh, several unlock patterns which were being drawn on the screen. And this curious case was able to discover which one of these patterns was being used. Wow. Be, be cautious of uh, those free devices you get at uh, trade shows. Yes, so let's say um, you don't think that something which touches your phone could be dangerous, only if it connects to your phone. But obviously, yes, uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So if you're working for the NSA and somebody gives you like a phone case which says, I love the NSA, so maybe <laughs> they don't really love the NSA. <laughs> right, right. All right, fascinating stuff as always. Dr. Yossi Oren, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.